RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by people like you, patrons through Patreon. Want a patch? Want a plaque? Just want to help support this show? Find out how and add your support at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 307, The Wire. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch Star Trek, examining it for the truth. True truth. And seeing whether those truths are still true. This week, The Wire. The one where McNutty falls off the wagon, then he's back on it, then he falls off again. And Omar kills people and bubbles and Kima and Mr. Presbo. And this is not that, The Wire. No, this is The Wire, the one where Garrick has something on his mind, or in it. Dr. Bashir is intent on saving the Cardassian, even if he doesn't want to be saved. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I, uh, yeah, not as momentous. I mean, certainly not a two-parter. So I don't know whether we'll have as much trivia this week as we had last week, because... I don't read ahead. But, uh, John, I assume there is some trivia tied to this week's episode, uh, The Wire. Yeah, I have about an episode worth of trivia for oh, you nice, today. nice. That works yeah. out well with yeah. this episode. Mm-hmm. So The Wire was written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, and no surprises to see Robert's name more and more often as a producer on DS9. Now, remember, he got his start way back by selling his script, A Fistful of Datas, to TNG. Incidentally, this story of addiction would have originally centered on a different Deep Space Nine character. Ken, you want to take a, just a guess, just a wild guess as to who Robert might have had in mind to uh, give... Bashir. No, you're so close. Actually, Kira. Really? Yeah. So they, they kicked around the idea of having Kira being the one addicted to something that developed during the uh, the Cardassian occupation, her time with the underground. Mm. Uh, but then they felt like, you know what? We could do that story, but then you always have that with one of the lead regular characters on the show. Right, right. Uh, Every episode from now on, everybody's like, you doing okay this week, Kira? Right, right, right exactly. Just want to make exactly. sure, because, you know, if you need to talk, and that's like five minutes of every episode of Deep Space Nine from now on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, this episode was directed by Kim Friedman, and there is a new name for us, and it just so happens that Kim is the first woman to direct an episode of DS9. Her directorial career goes back to the 1970s, starting with several episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. From there followed Dynasty, Square Pegs, and yes, a full eight episodes of The Love Boat. 
She directs a total of six episodes of DS9 and then four episodes of Voyager after that. Hey, what is obsidian? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Ken. It is a super smooth glass-like rock formed when lava rapidly cools. It's pretty neat looking. It's very brittle, very sharp, and it's good to know that they have the exact same word for it on Cardassia. Julian has a middle name, Subatoy. Don't get used to hearing that because you never will again. Uh, What does it mean? Well, there's actually not a whole lot of information about the background of this name. But if you want to believe certain attributes associated with it, uh, let's just pick some independence, intelligence, freedom, etc. Pretty much any time you go to a site or pick up a book that says, what does this name mean? Well, you can throw as many positive attributes at that as you like. And that's what seems to have happened with Subatoy. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Now, this is a Garrick-centric episode, which means top billing, of course, to Andrew Robinson. We also get to welcome Quark's friend, Bohika the Cardassian, played by Jimmy F. Skaggs. Jimmy was born in Arkansas, and he started his on-screen career in the early 80s. Outside of the usual TV guest roles, he made a number of feature film appearances, Puppet Master, Catch Me If You Can, Lethal Weapon, and the sci-fi cult film Oblivion and Oblivion 2. This is his only Trek TV appearance, but he did provide a voice for the video game Star Trek Away Team. Jimmy passed away in 2004. And Tain is played by Paul Dooley. Now, here's a character actor many people know by name, and even if you don't, you have very likely seen him multiple times in other productions by now. Think back to a lot of dad roles like Paul in Sixteen Candles or Breaking Away. Remember the time that Robin Williams played Popeye? Oh, yes, I do. Yes. In 1980, the Robert Altman film. By the way, can you know you can visit that set in Malta? Seriously? Seriously. They kept the set of the town and you just go there and hang out and uh, and bring your Popeye cosplay. But you, but you have to get to Malta. That's the problem. Yeah, you have to get to Malta. I mean, not yeah, there's anything in, wrong. I would love to go to Malta. I got nothing against it. Who wouldn't? The extra added bonus of having that set there. See, I was actually going to say I would gladly pay Tane Tuesday for uh, some gacht today. Uh, perfect. Or some other kind of Star Trek food. Yeah, there, there's a tie-in. Paul Dooley played Wimpy. In the 1980 Robert Altman film Popeye, yes. so well done. He was well also done. he was also the uh, henchman of the bad guy in the Bob and Doug McKenzie movie Strange Brew. Oh man, I haven't seen that in forever, but it played pretty much on Showtime every six hours <laughs> yeah. for for a time there. Oh, yeah. I I went to the theater and saw it, my friend. Max von Sydow was the bad guy in Strange Brew. Remember that very well. He yeah. was fantastic in that. I mean, he's fantastic in everything, though. You, you really mm-hmm. didn't. That's the thing. You didn't have to be fantastic in that movie because it no. was Strange Brew. It was the Bob and Doug McKenzie movie. And yet uh, he was fantastic. And Paul Dooley was an idiot in that movie. But I still always remember like one of the things he just played the idiocy so well. They he was on he was on the stand and, mm-hmm. and there were time codes on the tape. And he said, I want to point out, by the way, that there are time codes on that tape, and those are very hard to fake. Wow. And the judge says, what what do those mean? And Paul Dooley says, just because I don't know doesn't mean I'm lying. (laughs) That's a great line, actually. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a line that you'd use pretty much throughout your life. And I do. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So uh, let's talk more about Paul Dooley. He has turned up frequently 
on shows like one of my favorites, HBO's Dream On, uh, and HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's been on The Practice, ER. He even lends his voice to animated productions, notably Cars from Disney, in which he plays Sarge. Uh, recently, he has shown up in the comedies Workaholics and Children's Hospital. Look, let's face it, the guy's everywhere. And we are glad to note that he will be back for three more appearances on Deep Space Nine in the same role. Dr. Bashir is having lunch with plain, simple Garrick. But things with Garrick are not as simple as they seem. Prologue. The exceptional Dr. Bashir is debating Cardassian literature and culture with plain, simple Garrick. Garrick seems unhappy with Bashir's take on the never-ending sacrifice, the greatest repetitive epic to ever come out of Cardassia. Then again, he's also unhappy with the line with the replomat. You know, Garrick seems unhappy with everything right now. What's really bothering him, though, may just be in his head. Literally. As he's growing more impatient with Bashir, he's also reaching for his temple and wincing in pain. When the doctor wants to have a look back at the infirmary, Garrick declines. There's nothing wrong with him that a little peace and quiet can't cure. Garrick out. Act 1. Julian and Jadzia are trying to figure out what's wrong with a plant of hers. Turns out it's in the wrong place. The soil from the plant's homeworld needs a special microbe only found on its native world. Knowing that, Julian should be able to give it what it needs in no time. He just wishes dealing with plain, simple Garrick was that simple. Julian thinks Garrick is being as evasive about his medical history as he is about his personal history. Dax says she doesn't see why that bothers Julian. It's not like he and Garrick are friends. Julian says he agrees, though his manner says otherwise. Out for a late-night stroll on the promenade, Julian sees Garrick and Quark having some sort of chat. Garrick's hitting Quark up for some kind of merchandise. We don't know what, and neither does Julian. He doesn't really buy Quark's cover story, that Quark is getting a sizing scanner for the tailor, but he'll get no more info out of the Ferengi. Maybe he can get something out of the Cardassian computers instead. The next day, he asks Chief O'Brien to dig into the station's computers to see if he can extract Garrick's medical records. Doesn't look promising, though. The doctor's consultation with the engineer is interrupted by a call from Quark. He'd like Julian to come to the bar and deal with a surly, possibly drunk, though not as drunk as he'd like to be, Garrick. Quark says Garrick came in complaining of a headache, then started drinking, then kept drinking, and drinking... Seeing the doctor, Garrick apologizes for his rudeness the day before. The two men decide to have a drink, though Julian says he would rather have it someplace quieter. It's a ruse. He's trying to get Garrick to the infirmary, though even in his impaired state, Garrick sees the ploy for what it is. He starts to argue, then falls to the floor in crippling pain. Make it stop, he mutters, just before an emergency beam out to the infirmary. Act 2 it turns out Garrick's got an implant, though what it does, Bashir doesn't know. Maybe it's a torture device, hurting Garrick. He thought Odo might have some idea, but he doesn't. Maybe, Bashir suggests, Odo could find out from Quark. Bashir tells Odo of the conversation between Quark and Garrick the other night. Maybe that has something to do with this. Odo says that could explain the secret calls Quark's been making to Cardassia Prime. Odo figures he'll make another one tonight. 
Join me at 0200 hours and we can listen in on the next one. 0200 and we find Quark making a call to a Cardassian. After some sleazy sort of reminiscing, Quark gets down to business, giving the Cardassian the part number given to him by Garrick, promising the Cardassian enough latinum to buy himself a promotion if he's able to secure the technology. Punching in the number, hey, look, a flashing red light, and beeping, and anger, and panic. What Quark has asked for is top secret, and likely to end with the Obsidian Order landing on the Cardassian's head. Odo explains to Bashir, the Obsidian Order is the Cardassian equivalent of the CIA, the KGB, the SS, any other scary police initials you can think of. They are ruthless, and they are efficient. There's one thing Odo doesn't get, though. If the thing in Garrick's head is a torture device, why would Garrick want another one? Bashir thinks maybe he wants to reverse engineer it or something. Whatever the case, both the doctor and the constable are left with more questions. Back in the infirmary, Bashir goes to check in on Garrick, who, it turns out, has checked himself out in the doctor's absence. Act 3. Bashir finds Garrick in his quarters, shooting himself up with an anesthetic. Bashir wants him back in the infirmary, though Garrick says Bashir can't help. Yeah, says Bashir, and neither can Quark. He gives the Cardassian the news that Quark can't get whatever it was that Garrick wanted. Garrick finds that unfortunate. Now give me my hypospray and leave. Bashir refuses. Maybe he can get the thing in Garrick's head out, but Garrick says it can't be removed. Not easily, anyway. It was designed to be hard to get out. Otherwise, it would be useless. See, it's not a torture device. It's an anti-torture device. Put in Garrick's head so that, should he ever be captured and tortured, he can activate it, release a load of endorphins, and take the pain away. But, he says, it wasn't meant for constant use. Living on Deep Space Nine is torture. The temperature is too cold. The lights are too bright. One day he activated the device for a little while. Days later, a little while longer... Then longer. Then finally he just left it on. Now it's breaking down, and the pain is coming back. And there's no way to get off it, in his estimation. His body has become too dependent. Besides, says Garrick, he deserves this. His past is dark. He tells Bashir a terrible story. Of a time just before the end of the occupation of Bajor, when Garrick had a shuttle destroyed, killing about 100 Cardassians and his aide... Elam, just to kill a few Bajoran escapees. He did his job, though in so doing he also killed the daughter of a high-ranking Cardassian official, leading to his exile on Deep Space Nine. That's who you're trying to save, Doctor. I hope I haven't shattered too many of your illusions. None of that concerns Bashir right now. He still wants to help, and says he'll help Garrick through whatever physical consequences await. And Garrick gives in, handing over the device's kill switch to Bashir. Act 4. Odo wants to question Garrick about some murders that may have been committed by the Obsidian Order, though Bashir says no. He's unconscious, and waking him to answer any questions may kill him. In fact, he may die anyway. So now Odo really wants to question him, and Bashir really says no. I have a patient to care for. Excuse me. 
in his quarters. Garrick's not doing great when he comes to. He's doing everything addicts on TV always do when they're trying to kick, acting violently, insulting the people trying to help. But he's also revealing more truths. True truths. He didn't have the shuttle shot down. The occupation was almost over, and he couldn't see any reason to kill the Bajoran kids that he'd said had escaped. Instead, he gave them what latinum he had and let them go. But his assistant, Elam, was horrified. The implication is that he turned Garrick in, leading to his exile on DS9. Then it's more insults leading to a physical altercation until Garrick goes into some sort of arrest. Bashir calls for medical backup, though Garrick's condition keeps deteriorating. Toxins are building up in the system, though Bashir can't figure out why. His assistant suggests turning the implant back on to buy them a bit of time, but Garrick, having woken up, says no. He never wants that thing turned on again. And now, time for the really true truth. Elam wasn't Garrick's aide. He was Garrick's friend. They were like brothers. They grew up together. The head of the Obsidian Order, Anabran Tain, took a liking to both of them, and together they rose through the Obsidian Order's ranks. Then there was a scandal. Someone was accused of letting some Bajoran prisoners escape. Garrick tried to pin the whole thing on Elam, but he was too late. Elam framed Garrick for releasing the detainees. Before he knew what was happening, Garrick's life was ruined. He was banished to Deep Space Nine. And he deserved it, he thinks, for trying to frame Elam, his best friend. Asked why he's telling Bashir all of this, he says, so Bashir can forgive him. He needs someone to forgive him. And Bashir does. Bashir tells the other doctor to look after Garrick. He's going to see the man responsible for Garrick's state. Anabran Tain. Act 5. Beaming straight into Tain's home, Tain is not surprised to see Bashir. He knows everything that's going on on Deep Space Nine. He knows exactly who Bashir is. He knew that Bashir was coming. Information is his business. And he has a lot of it. He offers Bashir his favorite beverage, exactly the way Julian likes it, then asks how Garrick's doing. Bashir says he's dying, though Tane says he's confused by Bashir trying to save Garrick. If he's Garrick's friend, he should let the Cardassian die. A life in exile is no life for Garrick. Maybe. But Julian's job is to save Garrick. So, want to help? Ultimately, Tane agrees. He'll make sure Bashir has what he needs. But let's be clear. I am saving Garrick because I want him to live a long, miserable life. I want him to grow old on that station surrounded by people that hate him, knowing that he'll never come home again. And with that, Tane dismisses Bashir. Though the doctor has one final question. Whatever happened to Garrick's friend, Elam? Tane laughs. I can see that Garrick hasn't changed a bit. Never tell the truth when a lie will do. Elam is Garrick's first name. Now run along home, and please, tell Garrick that I miss him. Based on Garrick's condition, it appears some time has passed. Bashir says he should still be resting, though Garrick says he's had enough of the infirmary. So how's this place pudding? Bashir is incredulous. You're just going to act as if the past ten days never happened? Eh, says Garrick. Why dwell on it? 
And it's back to business as usual, allusions to whether Garrick's a spy, discussions of Cardassian literature, lunch. Bashir says he wants to know what of the stories told by Garrick was true. Garrick says it was all true, especially the lies. The end. Uh, Garrick says, uh, at first, when he's complaining about the long line at the replimat, we'll be done eating lunch just in time for dinner. And, <laughs> you know, I, I know that Garrick sees this as a problem, but I'm pretty sure that I have lived many days like that and didn't yeah. see it as a problem at all. I, You know, one day I want science to explain to me how it is that our bodies can be different. As different as they are, because I'm bigger than you. I'm not uh -huh. much bigger than you not at this much. point. Yeah. I have yeah. been much bigger than you in the past, mm. but I'm bigger than you right now. And you and I had a day in Vegas the last time we were there, mm -hmm. where where we went to a, a business lunch, yeah, and then we went to a sort of an event dinner for the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Oh right, yeah. And I seriously got physically ill <laughs> from the amount of food that we had at those two meals. Uh -huh. And I know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. man. I just, I just marvel because I know you had more than I did <laughs> at, at the second meal. Okay. I know you did yeah. because yeah, not because I'm watching you, but it's always amazing to me when we go to sushi. <laughs> it's amazing to me. And yet I thought I was going to die. <laughs> well, all of which is to say, I would like a little bit of a buffer. Like, you know, oh, at, at this rate, uh, lunch is going to be over and then it'll be a two hour nap and then dinner. You know, something along those lines. Oh, that sounds things. pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I I, uh, I I eat and then, um, you know, like hibernate for, for a week or Do so. Do you actually eat, coming. though? Because that, that's the other thing I'm trying to figure out. You could be like the pen and teller of people I know. Oh, oh no, that would be cool. Just like I, pretend I like eating and really just, you know, so that so that your legend grows far and wide, mm -hmm. maybe. Okay. I, I, I like that, too. That's fine. Uh, but as long as we're talking about food, uh, let, let's talk about the, the existential sadness of having lunch with someone once a week for a year and, and not really being friends. Do you think they aren't? No, I think they're friends. I, I think this okay. is a lovely bit of subtext, and it's something that Star Trek doesn't always do, so it's kind of fun to point out. Usually when Star Trek has something to say about a character or whatever, they, they, just, they stop and they give you a speech. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you, you make sure that you know what side the show is on or what side you should be on. And mm -hmm. um, it, this is a great bit, uh, the conversation between Bashir and Dax, where she's saying, well, you guys aren't really friends, though. Oh, no, no, no. Of course we're not friends. But it, it speaks to the relationship that they do have, which is so – it, it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, in the middle of um – Garrett trying to kick, he he actually does admit to really enjoying his time with Bashir, although he says that's actually, that's the most shameful thing. Yeah. His life is so terrible that he enjoys time with this guy. But yeah. I mean, you have to sort of take out the parts where he's, you know, going through withdrawal or whatever, and assume that what he's saying about liking Bashir is true. Although, I mean, the whole time they're playing with nothing he says is true and everything he says is true. So yeah. my guess would be he likes Bashir about as much as he doesn't. <laughs> sure. Yeah. He also says he hates Bashir. He does he, say that, yeah, too. But, yeah. you know, he loves him. So maybe <laughs> it makes for a, a, a pretty fascinating relationship. And uh, oh, by the way, when Garrick hits the bottle, I, I love mm -hmm. that it looks like he's chucking down a bottle of Windex. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know. 
or or is blue Hawaii is all around? Yeah, well, I was yeah. going to say it could be blue Curacao, but mm-hmm. I guess that's actually a bit more clear, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it could be Windex. It yeah. could be it could be any number of things. Why not? Yeah. Uh, by the way, why does uh, Odo decide that he has to resolve four murders right now? Just right now. Because the guy that he thinks might be able to solve them is dying. Here's what I don't understand, though. Did did Odo really have no idea that that uh, Garrick was part of the Obsidian Order at some point? Because he's been around for like five years. He knows that Garrick is pretty much banished there for a reason. Everybody who comes in, you know, from the from the lowliest steward to the highest gull, anybody Cardassian knows who Garrick is. But all of a sudden, now Odo's like, wait a minute, he was connected to intelligence. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, it, Garrick has been there, and and Odo has been there for a long, long time. Yeah. And uh, uh, he knows. I mean, look, he's the only Cardassian on the station. Yeah. So pretty much whenever there is a question that involves anything about Cardassians, he's your go-to guy. And Odo is listening in on everything. So, yeah, yeah it, it just seems like, uh, oh, well, I've, I've really let the clock run down on this, these four murders. <laughs> so, well... It's like everything, John. You always think you have time. Mm-hmm. And, and then one day, you realize... One day, oh, I That guy I was eventually going to nail for murder is actually going to die. I better get to him quick. Yeah, didn't solve those four murders. Yeah. You know, it happens. There was a bit of uh, a directorial, editorial choice here that I, I can't think that we've ever seen it on Star Trek on TV before. I might be mistaken here. But that time-lapse sequence, little little montage slash time-lapse where Bashir is waiting in the infirmary with Garrick, and he, you know, you see him go over and get a cup of tea and just hang out. And, and it's a really nice thing to drive home this idea uh, about the care that Bashir has for the situation. Um but, you know, usually Star Trek just wants to sort of move along and it's dialogue, dialogue, dialogue or action, action, action. And we actually take a moment here to let that time lapse play out. It was cool and I thought worth noting because it is so rare. Um, by the way, I, I love how uh, Bashir can just at, at some point as we're approaching the end of the episode be like, uh, hey, uh, Commander Cisco, I'm going to take a shuttle, go to Cardassian space. OK, cool. Bye. I mean, going to Cardassian space, he's going to Cardassia Prime, isn't he? Is, he? he is, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, why? Would you like me to call ahead? No, no, I want to surprise them. <laughs> yeah, secret mission. Don't don't let anybody know. Uh, wait, really? You're going to take which shuttle? Because uh, we might need it again. Dr. Bashir is having lunch with plain, simple Garrick. But things with Garrick are not as simple as they seem. Important note about the arts that we learned from Garrick in this episode. The repetitive epic is the most elegant form in Cardassian literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you miss that, the repetitive epic is the most elegant form in Cardassian literature. Interesting. Yeah. See, I repeated that. Uh, it's it's good. Sure I, I saw what you did. Well. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. bad. They actually mm-hmm. did that in this episode as well, but we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah. Um... All of the characters lead selfless lives and duty to the state, grow old, then die. Then the next generation comes along and does it all over again. And Garrick says that's exactly the point, Doctor. The repetitive epic is the most elegant form in Cardassian literature, as you just said. Uh, The never-ending sacrifice is the greatest achievement, as far as that's concerned. 
it yeah. really it got me thinking about a couple of things about the Cardassians that we know. Like I remember years ago talking to our friend Rick Sternbach mm-hmm. about about designing for the Cardassians as opposed to designing for the Klingons or the Federation or whomever. And one of the things he talked about was the fact that the Cardassians do everything in threes. So you have the three pylons, the upper pylon, the lower pylon, all mm-hmm. that stuff. You have mm-hmm. repetition in what the Cardassians do. This is the first time that we've actually, I think the first time we've really heard it just sort of spelled out that that's a thing the Cardassians do. And if you're trying to raise a group of people, a race of people, a society that is going to be loyal to the society above the individual, well, the repetitive epic is a fantastic way to do that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and we already talked about that before, about how, um, uh, yeah, the, the ultimate loyalty is to the state, even if it means that you uh, you, you sell out your brother and, uh, you know, allow executions because, yeah, well, it's what the state wants. That's right. Uh, that, that, that's oh, no, the, no, that part I know we had talked about the repetitive mm-hmm. epic. I didn't think we had talked about. Yeah, we had not talked about the repetitive epic. But uh, but yeah, absolutely. If the whole culture is built around driving home this message, mm-hmm. then uh, absolutely. Why not drive it? at home and repeat it ad nauseum. There's something really interesting about uh, it, there's something really interesting about how you know we, we've taken pieces from uh, again let, let's go back to this idea that every alien culture everything that we do in Star Trek are ways to reflect uh, things that have happened on Earth or, or explorations of humanity that, that we want to get into. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've taken all these hallmarks of fascist regimes and, and other scary-sounding moments in history and planted them all into what makes up the Cardassian culture. And there have been many parallels. Certainly we've talked about parallels to World War II and the Nazi regime with the Cardassians. But there's something interesting going on here as well with the, the, the arts and culture side. And, you know, a lot of Soviet literature was written to drive home the message of the Soviet state uh, in, in film and in TV and, uh, and novels. So I, I thought this was a great way to, again, parallel that with something that is very earthbound, very human bound. It's also really neat to see an explanation for the monoculture. Because so often yeah, we talked yeah. about like, uh, what, you, come on, there has to be a bullion who doesn't want to cut hair. Well, it turns out there are plenty. Just ask the Maquis. <laughs> but I mean, we've, we've talked plenty of times about like, you know, the honorable Klingons and how they're all more honorable than honorable or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's interesting to, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to double down on this monoculture thing with the Cardassians and explain why. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a neat bit of, of like, you know, filling out, not just naming a god or naming the first Cardassian or naming, you know, anything mm-hmm. like that, but saying, yeah, no, this is, this is, this is who we are. This is how we get to be this way. And this is how we stay this way. It's kind of a, just kind of a fascinating thing. But what's cool is that there are always cracks in there. And, and that's what I like about the depth that DS9 has when it comes to uh, uh, characters like the Cardassians, which is, yeah, we explain the monoculture. We explain this very rigid form that they have. We explain why essentially they're all soldiers, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
when we show the cracks, the cracks are that much more interesting and profound. So go back to an episode like Duet, the one guy who felt so horrible about his role in all of this that it tortured him and that it, that he had to go to this extreme length, he thought, to try to get his story out. Or as we'll explore here with Garrick, a guy who has many facets, who who's dealing psychologically with all, all the, uh, the, the pressure that this has put on him. So... Um, yeah, I, I like that we establish what the culture is and that there are very few outlets for anything that doesn't speak exactly to the message of that culture. But when it happens, it's worth taking note of, as we do in this episode. Um, I felt like this is one of those shows where we, we kind of can toy with what angle we're going to cover because there are a few angles here. I'm glad we we talked about literature and the monoculture of the, the Cardassians. But what I particularly like here and what I particularly respond to is the humanity of what we see with Bashir, uh, you know, particularly his relationship here with Garrick. But he's, Bashir here is the caretaker. He He's essentially the family member put into a position of showing compassion for someone who is so damaged by this addiction that, that I think that is really the the heart of the story. So therefore I want to ask something because we got an email about this, uh, uh, shortly before we recorded this episode. Um, does it matter that we're no closer to understanding Garrick's truth? I, I have my own answer to this, but I, in the email that we got, and I won't quote it verbatim, but the gist of it was uh, that this viewer felt a little shortchanged by this episode. He felt like there was a missed opportunity to go really deeply into Garrick's story. But what we get is obfuscation and lies, and we don't ever land at a place of figuring out who Garrick truly is or what his role was etc etc um I, i'm curious how you respond to that because i i definitely land in a different place my first viewing i was kind of annoyed that we're just going to do this again you know that it's going to be that with garrick you know yet another time but on on uh, subsequent viewings this isn't garrick's story this is bashir's story uh, to me this is this is bashir being bashir it's Bashir being a doctor. It's Bashir being Starfleet. It's Bashir helping a guy that he feels like he needs to help. And there's all this other stuff that comes in, right? Bashir's telling him, I mean, uh, excuse me, Garrick's telling him, I hate you and I want you to go away. And Bashir's like, well, I don't care and I'm not gonna because you need help. And then Odo comes in and says, this guy may have some information on murders and he may die. So I need that information. I need you to wake him up. And, and Bashir's like, no can do because my job right now is to try to save him. And so while I would ultimately like to know the truth about Bashir, and while I was annoyed that it ended, I'm sorry, not the truth about Bashir, the truth about Garrick. While I was annoyed initially that it ended the way it began and it ended the way other episodes with Garrick have ended, um, this to me was about how Bashir was going to handle the given situation. And so the fact that it ends as it began ended up not bothering me at all because really what it was about was was who was Bashir going to be throughout to me what about you though yeah no I, I agree with that I mean the focus is on Bashir and his his duty and his sense of friendship um, but I, I also felt like 
they didn't need to tell us the factual truth of uh, of Garrick's story because I felt like what we got here was an emotional truth about him. So I'm, I'm glad that we didn't rely on everything about uh, uh, his story adding up because a it was fun that, that you did uh, from the first time I watched this episode. The first story that happened, I I was shocked. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. Then the next story happens. Oh, wait, how do I reconcile these? Oh, I guess I can't. And then by the time you get to the third, well, you, you know this is all a game. And particularly with that last line. Um, it, it's Well, here, I'll give you an example. Um, mm-hmm. Ken, you and I have both recently seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, that'll, that'll date this episode. Now, um, I I am a massive Queen fan and have been since I was a kid, and I've seen so many documentaries and read so many books and and have just absorbed everything about that band. And uh, you, after you saw the movie, you asked me some questions about what was factually true or not about the movie. And there's a lot of stuff that is not factually true. Uh, But what I thought was really important about that movie is that there is an emotional truth to telling the story. So even if we're playing fast and loose with the timeline, even if we're moving events around and, and specific moments, by the end of that story you understand something emotionally true about the people who who lived that story. And and I thought that's what was cool here about listening to Garrick tell his story, is that it wasn't about the facts of the stories he was telling, but the emotion of what happened during each moment. Here's a guy detoxing his body from the, the this horrible addiction that he's developed to this painkiller, essentially. And each beat, the first one was rage, uh, that, that that was what I wrote down. So as he's telling the story about what he did, he, he's describing the rage of this moment. And then the next time he tells a story, it's the guilt that he felt. Because no, 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 it wasn't just me shooting this thing down. It was the guilt I felt for letting these people go. And here's what happened after the fact. And then by the time you get to the end, there's this vulnerability and this this need for forgiveness that he expresses to Bashir. So he could be telling any story, and it to me, it wouldn't matter what story he's telling. It comes down to the emotion that he's getting across, what's happening psychologically with that character at that time that he's trying to get across in that moment. See, what's interesting to me, though, is, I mean, why? how do you know he's not just a junkie? Mm-hmm. Well, and that raises a very good question about, uh, you know, what you brought up with uh, his his conversation with Bashir. Look, at any point during this detox, he's saying, I hate you and you're my friend and you're the only one. <laughs> this is the only thing that I look forward to is having these lunches. I actually enjoyed our lunches that I hate. Okay, right. so so which part of that do you choose to believe? Well, do you believe the, the person who's in this drug adult state when they say the thing you want to hear or when they say the thing you don't want to hear. Hmm. Well, you, you could pick and choose. But again, I, I feel like what we're getting at here with, uh, with Garrick's journey is all these horrible, intense emotions coming to the surface, but then landing in a place where he, he says he, he needs forgiveness. Uh, that's what he's asking for. I'll buy that because we're at the tail end of what's happening with him. We're, we're at the end of that process for him by the time we get to that moment. And then we fast forward 10 days 
and hopefully, knock wood, he's back to the Garrick that we want him to be, the Garrick who wants to have lunch with uh, with Bashir. Yeah, see, I wasn't kidding when I said I really am not concentrating on the Garrick part of the whole thing. I, I, if I start to think about that too much, then I start to get a bit annoyed. I don't know hmm. that there's any reason, though, to worry about his, like, you know, whether he meant it or whether he didn't. Because here's the thing, you say... It's in the very end of the whole thing, and you know he just wants forgiveness, and so mm-hmm. you know he grabs his hand and he says he's forgiven, and that's great. I mean, that could just as easily be a spy master working an asset. Like, sure, you know I I need to know that you and I are okay. I know I've done a lot of stuff, maybe or maybe I haven't, but I just need to know that we're fine, man. And Bashir is <laughs> like, yeah, man, we're fine. And then he goes someplace else, and the someplace else is like, yeah, okay. His first name is his best friend. Okay, right. he's he's right. still playing you. I mean, that's why, that's why, that's kind of why I don't, everything that happens with him, I mean, it's a fantastic range of emotion that he expresses. Uh, it's a fantastic performance on his part. And, and it's not like you can leave Garrick out of this episode, but again, that's not the part of the episode that I'm concentrating on because then I probably would get a bit frustrated because I don't know that we know in the end, you know, who we're dealing with any more than we do in the beginning, but we do know a lot about Bashir. Yeah, well, but it's two halves of the story here. I mean, yes, I, I agree with you. Look, Bashir is, uh, you know, he, he's one of the, he's a regular lead on this series. So, yes, the, the story is going to focus on Bashir. He's the one that we have to be concerned about week after week after week. And Lord knows that after two years, two seasons worth of episodes of DS9, we've had a lot of negative things to say about Bashir. So you have to have an episode like this come along where you you soften the edges a little bit make him not so uh reprehensible as as he has been in some episodes leading up to this so yeah he he has to be front and center he has to be the one that we care about but at the same time i think they did a brilliant job of making me at least care deeply about garrick and again the 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 truth in the story that he's telling is irrelevant the the truth of what he is going through that he has been subjected to this horrible thing partly by his own doing innocent at first well, it was just a few minutes a day then it turned into all the time has wrecked him and he's got to come out on the other side now, yeah, what we get at the very end in their uh, their sort of reconciliation, their their lunch ten days later, we go back to this. Oh, well, now he's back to being the the sly Garrick who uh, who definitely is playing both sides here and wants everybody around him to not know exactly who he is. Well, we kind of have to land back at that with Garrick, uh, but what we went through at least peeled back the layers of the onion to show that there is more to him than that, that the, there, there is something going on emotionally with Garrick that we haven't seen before. So listen, I know one of us has a thing, <laughs> <laughs> a thing about Odo. Now, yeah. um, really quickly, do we want to talk about, is Odo getting scary at this point? Uh, keeping tabs on people's communications. And then uh, what Bashir is like, is that legal? And Odo says, it's in the interest of station security. Do you want to know what he's saying or not? Right. And then later Bashir's like, man, I hope you don't have one of these devices on me. And Odo's like, 
should I? Which Ooh. is menacing. And yeah. then and then there's Odo, you know, there's a lovable Odo, sometimes doughy Odo, saying, um, yeah, you know, you got to admire the Obsidian Order. I mean, I mean, don't admire them, but, uh, well, you kind of do, don't you? I mean, yeah. but don't, but, man, look at them. Yeah, I had a note on this, too. I mean, look, it's great for exposition. If you're doing a TV show and you need to get across some information that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get out of the characters, sure, you just invent that, they're wire, that we're wiretapping, uh, and that's how we'll get the information. I had to remind myself... You know, again, the, this is not a Federation station. Mm-hmm. Odo is not part of the Federation. Um, yeah, Commander Sisko is in charge. You can put that in quotes. Uh, but things are run differently than they would be on a Federation starship. <laughs> it kind so, of makes you wonder, though, if like last week when he was saying, untie my hands, if he wasn't, I mean, first of all, he's a shapeshifter, so tie his hands yeah, all you right, want right. to. He'll be fine. But sure, I mean, sure. when, he says, <laughs> when he says untie his hands, is he just, doth he protest too much? Is he being that loud about how they, you know, he can't get away with all the stuff he wants to get away with so that he's really just able to get away with all the stuff he wants to? And now Bashir knows about this. Does Cisco know about this? <laughs> okay, because, yeah, yeah. yeah we I, I, Look, it, it, it's a problem. It is definitely a problem. Although, think of how many times on Next Gen somebody could say, like, oh, yeah, uh, just bring up so-and-so's personal logs and let, let's listen to that. Or, yeah, it was in this communication that was sent however many weeks ago or years ago to somebody else. So you have to assume that all of this stuff is out there, but it is yet another step to tap into a live communication that somebody is having, and that communication is presumed on both ends to be private. So uh, it's it's a little worrisome. It's a little scary. Dr. Bashir is having lunch with plain, simple Garrick. But things with Garrick are not as simple as they seem. The Wire, John. The episode is called The Wire. I believe it's called The Wire because of that... Uh, that wire in Garrick's head. Now, it could also be, you know, the, the, the tightrope, the, the, the wire that somebody is sort of gingerly walking between, between truth and not truth, between doing what's right and doing what's expedient. I'm going to go, though, with uh, it's the mess of wires in, uh, in Garrick's head. Don't forget wiretapping. Oh, there is wiretapping as well. Yeah. All oh, sorts of things one. that the wire could be. Uh, sadly, none of it involves McNutty. <laughs> right but you know that'll be our podcast yeah. for 2163 in the meantime uh the wire john this episode of deep space nine the wire uh it's part of the show where we talk about the messages morals all that stuff and try to figure out whether it holds up today uh please won't you mr champion share your thoughts on whether this episode holds up yeah i i, I love the intimacy of this episode so I, I've said about many episodes of Star Trek that I've liked uh, that they feel like plays. And, and this one definitely feels like a play. The location, the intrigue, the politics, all of that almost becomes irrelevant because it's just two guys in a room going through the highs and lows of this particular relationship. So dramatically, it's riveting. Um, and, and I've also said that Garrick is a favorite of mine, and Andrew Robinson's acting here is wonderful. Uh, so, and, and I really get K 
can uh, the the focus on Bashir, mm-hmm. uh, partly because that that has to be what drives the show. But you know, I, I just really, to me, in this, uh, the performance that Andrew Robinson gives is, is such a standout. Um, this episode reminds me of Duet of course. Um, but in that one, we had this very clear end to that story and, and a pretty clear moral to chew on, or at least a couple of morals to chew on. Uh, whereas this one is this more kind of the this ebb and flow of this relationship, this friendship, uh, where one person has hit this terrible low. And, uh, and we see how our hero here, how Bashir is going to help pull him out of that. So it's absolutely about their friendship and about the the devastation that's happening to Garrick through this. So, yeah, uh, dramatically, this works incredibly well um, as just a piece of TV that keeps you guessing. Uh, and that's what I liked about watching this for the first time, that it did keep me guessing. It's really effective. Uh, the performances are so effective. Just all in all, it is produced so well. It's written so well. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. How about you? This isn't going to turn into another The McKee, is it? No, what's fascinating to me about this episode, honestly, is you and I can disagree about what the, what the point of the episode was, and yet we both come away absolutely loving it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, yes, I believe that Bashir feels something for Garrick. And I do believe, well, I don't know whether I believe that Garrick feels something for Bashir or not. There are plenty of times where you think he does. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of times where you think he may well not. And there's no telling at the end, but it doesn't really matter to me. Because to me, that's not what this episode was about. Um, When you say, though, like, I mean, when you say you understand my focus on Bashir, but... Uh, Andrew Robinson did a fantastic job as Garrick. This this doesn't work without him. I mean, he is amazing in this episode. He he delivers everything beautifully. It's well written. I mean, it's 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 a fantastic episode. Uh, Paul Dooley, um, I know is a good actor. I also know I've seen him play bumbling. I've seen him play dumb. And when it came on that he was basically the head of the SS, I was like, this is miscasting. And then when you see him be nice, be pleasant, and be incredibly menacing, when he says in as congenial a way possible, I'm doing this so that he lives in pain forever. I'm doing this so that he lives the rest of his life around people who can't stand him. <laughs> it's, it's like, wow, that's so much more scary than, than David Warner being that guy. Right. Not that David Warner was bad. I mean, certainly he was amazing in uh, in the episode that he was in with uh, with Patrick Stewart. Well, can we talk about that for just a second? Because we didn't talk a whole lot about Paul Dooley in this. And and you're hitting on something that I think is why he's so good in this. So when we met Garrick for the first time. Mm -hmm. in ds9 it it was this sort of sly kind of i I even described it as being seductive that that what he was doing to bashir and and it 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 converged on caricature Mm -hmm. which is why i'm glad we got this episode because we really got to dive deep with him into the heart of of garrick um even if it keeps you guessing but what was cool about paul dooley in this is tane is that I think he accomplishes what you and I really like in some of the other characters we've met along the way, starting with Gary Lockwood in The Cage, or I'm sorry, in Where No Man Has Gone Before, Mm -hmm. which is to say that 
we only meet him for a few minutes, but you immediately believe that he belongs there, that he's been there forever, that he is a part of this world. He is so grounded that you can't not believe that this character exists. Yeah. And that's something really tough. Like, it, it, we almost have it easy when you have the, the main seven characters on this show or another show who we know we're going to be with episode after episode after episode. But you meet a guy like Tane at the tail end of this episode, just for a few minutes, and you immediately feel like he's been there forever and you know exactly how he belongs in this world. Yeah. And there are ways, I mean, there are ways, well, like I say, Paul Dooley is just great and it was well-written and it was well-directed. I mean, I'm thinking about when you meet Ned Beatty in Network, Mm. he's very Mm -hmm. nice, he's very pleasant, he brings Howard Beale into the boardroom, he asks him if he's comfortable, he asks him if he needs anything, and then he explodes Right. And one of the most amazing, I mean, in a, in a fantastic monologue that's still relevant today, perhaps more relevant today than it was when uh, when Shaevsky wrote it back in 75. But I mean, he changes. He changes in a very big way there. And it's jarring and it's scary and he sells it. But what's weird is Paul Dooley was just as scary, but he never turned. He never turned. He never exploded. He never mm-hmm. he never came off of his uh, sort of easygoing air. And that's honestly probably what makes him more scary is the fact that, you know, he could just as 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 pleasantly order countless people to their deaths. Mm -hmm. And that makes him uh, that makes him an incredible creation. And uh, and golly, it's just too bad. He's only on the one time we never see him again. (laughs) I don't know. Stand by. Stand by. Here's what here's the thing, though. What's amazing to me in this episode, and I'm going to transition to the part where we talk about, you know, what we take away from it, if you're cool with that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is just how Starfleet Bashir is in this episode. Because he, as you pointed out, we've had a lot of bad stuff to say about Bashir. Mm-hmm. Um, has Garrick done something bad? Probably. We think probably he has. But Julian's job is to save Garrick. So that's what he's going to do. Um and then structurally, I also like, I, I like the thing with the plant. <laughs> Do you really? I really yeah. like the thing with the plant at the beginning, okay. because the thing at the plant at the beginning was like a dumb show. It was basically mm-hmm. everything that's going to happen in this episode with Garrick, uh, done in about two and a half minutes Yeah, at the very top. And that was kind of a neat thing. And honestly, that sort of does the structural thing that the Cardassians do as well. It's like, okay, here's the story. Here's the story again. Mm-hmm. Neat. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, this episode... I thought this episode was absolutely uh, wonderful. And, um, and you know, ultimately, if there is a message, at least one of the messages that I picked up, it's the same thing that we talked about in the Corbomite Maneuver. Who was Julian when he got up that morning? He was that Starfleet officer. Who is he when things get tough? He's that Starfleet officer. Who is he when the whole thing's over? He's that Starfleet officer. It was kind of a neat thing to see. What else did you get, sir? Yeah, I mean, look, the, there's a, a story of addiction here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's a moral to that other than just an exploration that it, it is a horrible thing for anyone to go through. And some people are lucky enough to have others help them through it. Others are not. Um, but but we got to tell this specific story in which Garrick plays out the this course of addiction. And, and again, it's just sort of riveting and fascinating to watch. But I, I'll go back to what you're talking here about um, – 
sort of the the loyalty to uh, Bashir's principles. Uh, there's this great exchange that they have early on uh, when when they are talking about uh, Cardassian literature, when they are talking about the never-ending sacrifice. And uh, Bashir says, there's more to life than duty to the state. And Garrick says, a Federation viewpoint, if I ever heard one. Uh, which is funny, because we we talk about the loyalty and the the duty to the structure that is the Federation or to Starfleet, but more importantly, the principles of the Federation and or Starfleet. So yeah, Garrick says that, but he's a character who revealed in this and in other ways, he's a character full of inner conflict and he benefits from Bashir's loyalty to the principle and in this case, Bashir's loyalty to him, Bashir's loyalty to his friend. So I think Bashir actually is able to square that in both ways. Yeah, like he said, he wakes up and he's a doctor. And a doctor helps people who are in need. It also happens that Garrick is his friend. And he is not going to not only not stand by while his friend is in pain and needs help, but he is going to go to great lengths to make sure that his friend slash his patient is um is okay by the end of this mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry hey if you want to check out some other really cool shows coming out of the roddenberry podcast network well why don't you check out the roddenberry podcast network at podcast.roddenberry.com if you'd like to help support mission log directly that'd be awesome patreon.com slash mission log is the way to do that for more exciting star trek podcasts check out trek fm that is trek.fm and for the latest in star trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com next week crossover Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Dr. Bashir is having lunch with plain, simple Garrick. But things with Garrick are never as simple as they seem. transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.